Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, the gospel reading today comes from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 28. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlivens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one who you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's take a moment and pray together. Gracious God, in this moment we pray that you would meet us in this place. We approach this scripture and this moment from many perspectives and experiences. Some of us hopeful, joyful, anticipating what you might do or say in our lives. Others of us fearful, or cynical, or bitter, or holding a grudge against others, or maybe a grudge against ourselves or against you, and it's eroding our soul from within. We come to this moment believing and unbelieving, most of us somewhere in between. However we find ourselves right now, help us to see each of us is known by you, seen by you, and loved by you. 
Help us to see that you know us to our depths and you love us to the greatest heights in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes to this grace and truth in a way that our lives would be transformed. We pray all these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, as many of you know, I'm a big ocean buff. I love swimming in La Jolla Cove three times a week. Shout out to the Dawn Patrol if you're tuning in. But I also just love marine biology. I love learning about the way that the systems in the ocean all work together. And one of the aspects of the ocean that intrigues me is what's called the photic zone. The photic zone is the area of the water to which sunlight can penetrate. It goes down about 600 feet. And most marine biologists believe that 90% of the, of the ocean's life lives in the photic zone because where there is light there is life where there is light there is life and today we have this passage that's all about the light of the world that's coming into the world to give it life now in this time of advent as we prepare for christmas as we remember jesus coming and anticipate him coming again to make all things right Oftentimes we read the stories of Jesus as a little baby. Those are called the infancy narratives. They're told in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke tell you the details of Jesus' birth. The Gospel of John that we just read tells us its significance. It tells us the bigger story, the grand narrative into which Jesus comes. The question is, what story do you live according to? What's the story that you tell yourself to help you understand where you belong in the world or in your family or in this season of life? How do you live in a world that's marked by darkness and uncertainty and not become more bitter, more cynical or more apathetic or just defeated, but rather become more joyful, more hopeful and more resilient? Today, the Gospel of John invites us to view John the Baptist, who came as this witness pointing to the light. And so let's look at what John the Baptist teaches us about the light of the world, what Jesus reveals as the light of the world, and then how you and I access that light and live into it today. First, what does John the Baptist reveal about the light of the world? It says in verse 6, the very beginning, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He came as this witness. What does a witness do? A witness tells the truth about what they've seen and heard and know to be true. So what was his testimony? It says in verse 19, this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked, what, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Well, then who are you? Give us an answer for those who sent us. See, remember last week we met John the Baptist. He was the one who was out in the wilderness, clothed in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. He was in this really odd kind of archetype of a human being in the wilderness, calling people to repent, to have a change of mind according to God's ultimate reality and to live into God's ultimate reality. And so people are now sending from the city of Jerusalem. They're going out to the countryside, to the wilderness to say, who are you? And they're doing this for a number of reasons. By their questions that they ask, you can tell one of the reasons. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? 
Are you the prophet? And by the way, the, the prophet has been talked about by scholars and theologians for centuries. No one's exactly sure who they're talking about. They could be talking about the Messiah, could be talking about Elijah, could be talking about any of the other prophets who would have been forerunners to the Christ. But there's a big backstory there. And here's the backstory. It goes all the way to the beginning. That in the beginning, God created a beautiful world and said it was good and blessed humanity to care for and cultivate the world, to have real relationship with one another and with, with, and with God. And yet humanity rebelled and took matters into our own hands. And now you see this kind of radioactive decay as things begin to fall apart. And even then, in the very beginning, God promises, I will not let this whole thing unravel. I promise to put the world to rights. And then God calls Abraham and says, I will bless you and through you all the nations will be blessed. And Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had the 12 sons, the 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the point is that God says, I will elect this group of people. I will make them my own for the sake of the entire world. And as those 12 tribes go on and become Israel, pretty soon they say, we want a king. And God says, you don't need a king, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a king where we can go and see the king in the throne room and talk to the king and have the king rule us. That seems like it would be easier for us. And God says, it will surely not be easier for you because kings will tax you for their own personal treasury. Kings will conscript your sons into their army to go and overtake other nations on behalf of the empire. Trust me, you don't want a king. They said, we want a king. He said, if you want it, you can have it. So they had a series of kings. Some were better than others, but no one fully got it right. And throughout the midst of all this, they had the prophets who were the poets, and they were calling the people back to their original calling to be the very essence of God wherever they went, to bless the nations. And in the midst of all of that, with this vision of the coming kingdom of God, with the Messiah, which is Hebrew for the anointed, Greek, the Christ, Messiah and Christ mean the same thing, two different languages. It means the anointed, it means the coming king. They're all longing for God to step through and to make things right. So when John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness and begins talking about the kingdom of God that's coming and turn your mind and turn your life and live into God's ultimate reality, they're saying, is it finally happening? After hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that God is actually getting involved to rescue and to save. They're waiting for God's renewal. It's also terrifying for these people from the city, from Jerusalem, because they're afraid that if word gets out that there is some religious revolutionary out in the countryside claiming to have a different kingdom, claiming to have a different vision, claiming ultimate allegiance, if Rome hears about that, remember, Rome is occupying Israel. If the occupying empire hears that a coup is on the way, that a revolution is in the wind, it's not going to work out well for Israel because Rome will crush it in a heartbeat. So they wanna know what he's up to. They wanna know who he is. They wanna know what this is all about, but they also wanna know if they have to watch their backs. So they ask him, who are you? And John the Baptist responds in a very interesting way. For somebody who is so bold, so brave, so courageous and so loud, for someone who would go out into the countryside and say, all of you be baptized into the new kingdom of God, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. They'd say, excuse me, we have a process 
for unclean Gentiles to become clean Jews. The Gentile dogs need to become baptized, need to be cleansed in order to become Jews. And he says, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. The reality is all of us are unclean. It's not just those outsiders over there with these insiders over here, but all of us need the grace and mercy and renewal of God. And so all of us are called to be baptized into this new kingdom. He would later tell Herod himself, the Roman power of the region, you are wrong and you need to get your act straight, which would eventually cost him his head, literally. He would preach boldly and bravely, which, which then makes it a surprise when they say to him, John, tell us who you are. And he says, uh, I'm not the guy. I'm just some voice. I'm not the one. I'm nobody. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal, which we don't have time to go into. But there were laws in that time that the, the removing of the sandals was like the one thing that no disciple would have to do for their rabbi, that no Jewish servant would have to do for their master because it was the most subservient and disgusting and vile of acts because you'd be walking around all day through the streets of the city with sandals on and you know how that must be. So the point is, he says, I'm just a voice. I'm just a guy. I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, which makes you ask, who is this guy? Is he coming out of a place of really low self-esteem? Why is he answering with such a lack of confidence. And here's what you see. John the Baptist is a picture of both humility and boldness at the same time. Usually you have one or the other, humble without being bold or bold without being humble. But John the Baptist can preach and act fearlessly and at the same time say, I'm not the one, I'm not the guy, I'm not worthy. Humble and bold at the same time, which makes you and me ask, where do you get your sense of value. Where do you get your sense of value to tell you who you are, that you belong, that you measure up, that you're worthy? See, in more traditional thinking, you get your sense of value and meaning from your family, from being a part of the right family, the right pedigree. In a more modern setting, we get our meaning and value from our own individual achievements and what we can produce in our education. But John the Baptist gets it from neither. He says, I have value not because of the family I'm a part of or because of the things I'm accomplished. I have value because of who I'm with. And I'm with Jesus. You know, I have had a, still have. I have a friend who is a, a, I'm on the verge of name dropping here. I'm not going to say any name. He's a world famous, famous baritone in the opera. He travels around the world. I've been on the streets of Chicago and seen the big opera house with his big, beautiful face on it. Um, same in San Francisco. One time, when he, whenever he was in San Francisco, when I lived there, he would always, you know, we'd go out to breakfast, go out to coffee. And one time he said, hey, I've got to stop by the opera house. I have to pick up the script for the play that we're doing. And we just walked into the opera house on a Tuesday morning. Security opened up everything for us. We, we went on stage. I was playing with the props. We went up into the office where he has his script. And I realized as I'm on stage over there, that I had all access to the, Sandy, to the San Francisco Opera House because I'm with my friend Mark. If I was not with my friend Mark, I would have been arrested for trespassing. But because I'm with Mark, I have all the access that Mark has. John the Baptist says, because I'm with Jesus, I have all the access that he has. 
I have all the name that he has. I have all the meaning that he has. I have all the acceptance that he has. And so I can be both humble and bold at the same time because the light is coming into the world. Friends, Advent means as you receive the light, as you look toward the light, new humility and new boldness for you in your life. What does it look like for you today to have a bold humility and a humble boldness? How would that affect the way that you approach your friends or your enemies? How would that affect the way that you approach the people with whom you work and the people you play with? How would that change your way of interacting with your neighbors, to be both humble and bold at the same time, not because of your great past and history and achievements, but because you're connected to him. What does Jesus reveal about the light? As we read in verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And it all hinges, I would, I would submit to you, it all hinges on verse 14. The word became flesh and lived among us. That word, word, in Greek is logos. And logos was a very important concept in Greek culture, in Greek philosophy. The, log the logos was the logic of the cosmos. It was the a priori truth. It was the ideal form, the way that things should be, the true design of the cosmos. The problem is nobody lives fully into the logos. And so there were different strategies and different schools of thought of how to deal with the disappointment of this world. So there's one school of thought that are called the Stoics. You probably know about the Stoics, where part of it is you can't change the difficulty of reality. So just keep a stiff upper lip, bear with it, suffer through it, deny yourself and get through it. The other side would be the Epicureans that would say, you know, we can't do anything about the disappointment of this world, so let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's just make the ride as pleasant as we possibly can. Shout out to Epicureans. The question is, what is your strategy for dealing with the disorder of this world? What's your strategy for dealing with disappointment? And John the Baptist comes, pointing to the light of the world and says, the Logos is not a principle, it's a person. All creation has come through him. Live according to his design. You know, uh, recently Florence got me a new cabinet for my office. She brings order out of chaos, which is, by the way, the first thing the Holy Spirit does in creation. So way to go, Florence. Good, good company. And we had gotten this cabinet, and it's one of these cabinets, you kind of look at it and you go, it's 49,000 pieces, including the 20,000 screws and bolts. I'm never figuring this out without the instruction manual. Thankfully, the instruction manual is included. The instruction manual is the logos of the cabinet. And if I go according to the logos, the cabinet ends up standing and holding things. If not, it ends up like a family reunion we had years ago at the Nault family reunion when I tried to put together a barbecue grill without the instructions, without the logos, and we had to fully disassemble the thing and do it correctly. So thank you, Cousin Wes, for helping me with that. The point is, you live according to the design, you live according to the logos, and you actually find a way to thrive. Now, someone's going, look, life is a lot more complicated than cabinets and barbecue grills. I can live however I want. There's a thousand ways to live. There's a million ways. I'm the captain of my own ship, and, and I'm, the, you know, I'm the person who controls the destiny of my soul, and I'm going to do it however I want. And of course you can. My question is, how's that working for you so far? 
How's that working for you so far? One friend said, you can use your MacBook Pro as a doorstop if you want to, and it will function that way. But if you do it for long enough, it will no longer function as a laptop. And we go through life and we run into each other and we cause damage to each other and damage to ourselves. And Jesus says, I come as the light of the world. And when you follow me, you don't lose yourself. You actually find out who you were created to become. The true light that comes into the world. Also, these, this word, when they hear, uh, so when the Greeks heard word became flesh, they're hearing logos, logic, reality, in the flesh. When the Hebrews hear word became flesh and lived among us, they're going to hear the word that was translated and lived among us, which is tabernacled among us. And the word tabernacle is a very powerful word in the Hebrew worldview. Because when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai and Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, you can't handle my glory. And Moses said, well, I'll build a tabernacle for you to dwell in. So we can have the presence of God in the midst of the people. And Jesus comes into this world as the light coming into the darkness. The word made flesh who came and tabernacled among us. God in the flesh. That means all that you've been longing for, to be found in the presence of God who rescues and renews and knows you and loves you, can actually be found not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, but in a person, in Jesus Christ. In verse 18 here, it says, No one has seen God except for Jesus the Son, who has made God known. Later on in John chapter 14, Jesus' friends will be with him. After they've traveled with him for three years, heard him teach, preach, seen him, heal people, and they'll say, Jesus, this is amazing. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And he says, how long have I been with you? Don't you know when you see me, you see the Father, because the Father and I are one. Later on, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. You know what all this means? It means God, it means Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus is what God has to say to the world. So on a very practical note, if you're investigating Christianity, if you're exploring the Christian faith, if you're wondering if you can actually follow Jesus and become a Christian, start with Jesus. That's where you start. I have several friends who have joined this church through uh, you know, how much access we have now because we're online when it all works out. So hello to you if you've made it this far. But recently, several friends have said, Matt, I want to start reading the Bible either for the first time or the first time in a long time. So our church sends our friends Bibles. But we also say, well, here's how you read it. Because it's tempting to start at page one and read all the way through to page 1268 or whatever it is. But I say, start with Jesus. You're gonna get there. You're gonna get back to the Old Testament. You're gonna get forward to the letters to the church. But it starts with Jesus because he is the lens through which you view everything else. Start with Jesus. It also means for those of you who have been Christians for a while and you want to deepen in your faith, deepen in your connection to God. It means go deeper with Jesus. What, what would it look like for you today to take the next step of trusting him, of obeying him? Maybe as one friend sent me this week, and I can totally understand, you know, it, it felt like 
faith life has kind of gone on the back burner for a while. Maybe today is the day you say, I want to wake up. I want to respond to the light that rises every day and take new steps. Could be through prayer, through reading scripture. It could be through joining into this church as you're doing right now. Uh, for scripture reading, we have our community group on Wednesday at 7 p.m. You're always invited. Um, but make sure that as the light comes up, you have your eyes open as he comes and tabernacles among us. But here's the third thing you hear when you hear the word became flesh and lived among us. In Genesis chapter 1, in the very beginning, the first line it says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to tell us that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, here's how God did it. The spirit hovered over the chaos as the voice of God spoke and created through God's word. Let there be light. And there was light. And on and on. The claim of Christianity is that the word of God, the creative, explosive, bringing order out of chaos, beauty out of the ruins, word of God is a person. And his name is Jesus. And he has come toward us and he's lived among us. So you and I are invited to know the God that created us, not because we're so brilliant and we found a way to get to God, not because we're so good and we found a way to earn God's favor and love, but because God in his unlimited love has found a way to break through to us. He comes down to us. You know what this means? In Jesus, God understands what it's like to be you. God understands what it's like to be hungry. God understands what it's like to be scared. God understands what it's like not to know what's going to happen tomorrow. God understands what it's like to be rejected. God understands what it's like to be betrayed, to be the victim of injustice, even to be tortured. God understands you. If you've ever said, you know, I'm praying and I'm praying and it seems like God is not answering my prayers, God even understands what that is like. As the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed to the Father, if there's any other way, please, Show me. And the answer was, this is the way. Walk in it. God fully understands you. And God fully redeems you in the light that has come into this world. Is your view of who Jesus is that big? Is it that all-encompassing? Is it that robust? Is it that turned up to 12? But when you see in the manger on Christmas morning, vulnerable, it's actually the light of the world through whom, whom all things were created. It's both, which can help you have fuel to be both bold and humble. It can give you hope even when you can't see around the corner. It gives you something to cherish and to hold on to because the light of Christ comes to you. Did you notice that it says, who does it go to? Everyone. Who does the light enlighten? All people. This is for everyone. So what do you do? This might be the hardest thing of all. You just receive it. You drop your conditions and you receive it. What does a garden do to get the sun to shine on it? There's a beautiful garden just right here. Jay, would you just show them just that part right there? What, what does the garden do to grow? All it has to do is receive the nutrients 
receive the water and receive the light. Drop your conditions and run to him. It says he came to us, to a world that didn't know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not accept him. So if it feels like sometimes you're getting it and sometimes you're not getting it, you're in good company. If it feels like your life right now is one step forward and two steps backward, even then he walks to come and pick you up. If it feels like you've gone too far and lost your way, and you could never regain all of that distance that you've lost. The good news is he's coming toward you even now. It says, all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the power to become the children of God, not by the will of anybody else or anything they've done, but by the will of God. Not by your merit, not by being a part of the right family, not by having the right education or the right pedigree, not by making the right amount of money, not because of your achievements. Salvation is by grace alone. So friends, I invite you this Advent season, as you see the candles illuminated each week, as we come together on Christmas Eve to celebrate the light of Christ, I invite you to receive the light of Christ into your life even more and then to be a mirror that reflects it out into this world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would convince us of your great love for us and your truth. You would convince us of this grace and mercy that you say is for everyone. And as we come to this table in just a few moments, we come as hungry people. So would you feed us? Would you nourish us? And then send us out to be your hands and feet wherever we go. We pray these things in your name. Amen.